I want you to hear those words again one more time. Neighbor, let me be your servant. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too. This reciprocity of what it means to be servant, to be Christ to one another, this balance in life of how it is that we are servants to other, but also we can only do it as much as we're also able to receive someone serving us, God's gift of grace to us. Do you know that it's reciprocal? If you can't receive, you're probably not really serving. And the song brings that to core, and our message today in Philippians does as well. So I want to hear those words. Let me be as Christ to you, and let me have the grace to allow you to be the same to me. Together, we are the body of Christ, helping one another along the journey. Different times, we are the servant. At different times, we need the servant to help us heal. And we are that to one another. The song reminds us of that, and the scripture reminds us of that this morning. And sometimes to do that, you know, you just have to dance a little bit and be brave. You got to have that energy. You have to take a risk. You have to be vulnerable. You also have to be willing to go on a risk for another, even though they don't want you to or didn't even ask. So you might remember that song about being brave because God asks us to be those servants to one another and to have that kind of bravery. That songwriter Sarah Bareilles wrote that song for a friend of hers who had struggled coming out of the closet. And she kept saying to that friend, I want to see you. I want to see you be brave. Don't let the world tell you what you're supposed to be. Don't stay in that closet. Don't be afraid. I would really want to see you be brave. Can you hear God saying that to you? Whatever challenge you have in your life today, whatever difficulty, whatever hope, whatever thing you think God's calling you into next, but it's not clear yet, I want to see you be brave in that special way. So the letter we have from Paul today is to Philippians. And Philippians was Paul's favorite church. The scholars agree on this. They say, Paul is downright warm in this letter. Downright warm. You know, and these are scholars talking about Paul, so that means something important. He likes these folks. And he's telling them what he wants for them, what he hopes for them, what he dreams for them that they might be able to be in this world. And he reminds them of who they are in Christ. And so I want to hit this part from, from Paul and Philippians with three points as we go through this today. And I want you to pay attention to each one because sometimes this passage can go awry depending on how you read it. And so I want to bring it back to what I understand it to be and what Paul is asking us to be in Christ. And the first point I want to make to you, and I'm going to give you all three now so you can look for them later. You know, the first one is not uniformity but unity. Not uniformity, but unity. And the second point is no doormats, but downward mobility. No doormat, but downward mobility. And the last one has to do with that very last section of no lip service, but life service. And so I think he makes all these three points in this. So let's go through those to see where it comes about that Paul is doing these things for us. And first off, he's telling these people he's warm with, that he's been with, that he loves. He's saying, don't you remember the encouragement? Don't you remember 
the consolation. Don't you remember how we shared with one another? Don't you remember all these wonderful things we found in Christ together? And he said, I want you to find unity. You know, it seems like they're bickering a little bit. I want you to find unity. Not uniformity, unity. The mind of Christ. You know, the mind of Christ. And so I like this slide up here, uniformity. Uniformity is when people want you to stay in that closet, whatever they think that closet is. People want you to behave a certain way. People want you to be who they need you to be, not necessarily who God's calling you to be. And so part of uniformity, this little slide shows us that if we take a little bit about of the I want out of it, take a little bit of the I out, take a little bit, not all of it, take a little bit of the I out, and take away too much attention to the form, too much attention to the shape we think it ought to be, then you can find unity. You know, because we all don't disagree what studying the Bible should look like. We all don't disagree what sermons should be like. I know, you've told me. We don't, <laughs> we, we don't all agree on these forms and these shapes and, you know, and our eye desires, our wants. But Paul is saying, remember, remember the consolation, remember the love, remember the hope, remember the joy that you have in Christ. Remember this deeper unity that is worth more than any of those shapes or forms that you've become attached to. Remember that in Christ which calls you into love for one another. Can we be like Christ to each other, the song asks us. Can we do that? Can we find that place of unity in that love that's deeper than all of those things? You know, sometimes we get excited about a project or a goal or a social action and we want it to go the way we want it to go and then someone else has a different idea about that same social action or goal and they want it to go they want. And soon before long, we forget we're working for the same thing. You've ever been in a project like that? I've been in meetings with what I call incrementalists. Those are the ones who say, take a little bitty step at a time. I've also been in meetings with transformationalists. Those are the ones that say, take the big leap every time. Those people don't often agree on much. The incrementalists will tell the transformationalists, they'll say, well, we won't get anything. You know, if we do it that way, and the transformationalists will say to the incrementalists, well, you're selling the rest of us out if you do it step by step. You're not preaching the kingdom if you do that. Can you see how they might fight a little bit? And forget they're working to end hunger or end poverty or stop violence. They're working for the same thing, but they forget the love that brought them together, the purpose that called them together, the Christ that says, be me to each other. Be Christ to each other. I don't know about you, but I've been sitting in way too many of those rooms over my life and career. And I always look for that way to remind people, oh, it's not about this. It's about that kingdom we see that we're working for. Can you be brave enough? Can you be brave enough to trust beyond your own way, beyond your own shape or form? Can you be brave enough to allow something to emerge differently than you thought because it's in the hopes of the kingdom to come? Can you be that brave beyond whatever closet that limits you today that you can be free, free for you and free for others? So Paul is writing this to the Philippians. He's saying, remember, stop bickering. 
remember the love. Remember to have the attitude and mind of Christ. Don't get lost in your tactics. So that's point one. Not uniformity, but unity. Deeper unity. Don't ever settle for uniformity when God's calling you into a deeper unity. Second point. No doormats. No doormats. Did you hear Paul say that? I want you to say it with me. I am not a doormat. One more with gusto. I am not a doormat. All right. Thank you. Remember that. You know, sometimes this next part of the scripture of Philippians have made people think they're supposed to be doormats. And that's not the purpose at all of what this is about. I don't know. Some people think Christian service, Christian life is about just letting people walk all over you. And it's not about that at all. It's about holding fast to the deeper unity and out of that deeper unity taking action that you need to take for behalf of yourself and others so that Christ's kingdom may come. That's not being a doormat. You heard Reverend Troy say, we're not going to take it anymore. That's not being a doormat. Troy Perry, not Troy. <laughs> Troy Perry. We're not going to be doormats. You saw how the people got upset. The incrementalists among his congregation said, you're doing too much. You know, you're making us uncomfortable. And so what did they do? They fired him. The board fired our founder. Did you know that? I know some people who want to fire Jesus, too. You know some of them? Or at least they've already fired him, and they pretend they haven't. Some of them wanted to fire Troy, and they fired Troy Perry. So the, the board did this, and then the congregation had a meeting. The congregation got together and said, well, we'll fire you. And so the congregation fired the board and hired Troy back, the founder of our denomination. See how that works. You might think that's the end of the story, but it's not. Because Troy looked at the board members and gave them their jobs back. And said, we're all working for the same thing. Don't you forget about it. This unity that's beneath all of the tactics and all the strategies, we're working about the same thing. I'll tell you what, that's a lot of grace to say, you fired me, but I'm hiring you back, hiring you to be a part of this journey with us together so that we may be Christ to one another. Wow, can you be that brave sometimes to give the job back to people, to give the job back. So this next part of the passage about not being a doormat that some people confuse with it is more about downward mobility. It's about Jesus' choice. Jesus chose to be us. Jesus chose to leave power or to share power, to use power in a different way than we're familiar with. Jesus chose to be human. Jesus chose to feel and walk and touch and breathe and eat, to be fully human. Jesus chose downward mobility and we call it in our society instead of upward mobility in order to be with and among us in ways that we would know and love God. Jesus chose to use power in a way that would free us in downward mobility. That's a term that's used by author Henry Nowen. What does it mean to be in a society of upward mobility with a Jesus of downward mobility? What does it mean to ask questions of what it means to maybe empty yourself of having so much? What does it mean to pour out for others instead of accumulate for yourself? 
And Henry Nouwen had a challenge. He was a successful author and poet, and he would write all these books, The Wounded Healer. You may have read some of them. They're wonderful books. But he was at a point in his life when he felt he needed to do something different, and so he prayed to God. He said, God, be clear. Have you ever had that prayer? God, be clear. Something's next for me, and I don't know what it is, but just be clear. And so that night, coming to his hotel room at a conference, a woman was there and said, Hi, I bring greetings to you from the Larch community in Toronto, Orlando, Toronto, Canada. And Henry says, Okay, do you want me to sign a book? Do you want me to write a curriculum for you? What do you want me to come speak? Do a retreat? This is normal way of being. And she said, No, I'm just sent here to bring you greetings from the Larch community in Toronto. And so goodbye. And she left. Isn't it interesting to know that Henry later became pastor and served the rest of his life at Larch Community in Toronto? Because they just sent greetings. You know, perhaps we can be Christ to you. They just sent greetings, none of the usual stuff he expected. And what he found in that place was downward mobility from being the speaker, the author, the person who signed autographs to going to serve at this community of faith in Toronto. And while he was there, he met this man named Adam. Adam could not speak. Adam could not dress himself. Adam could not feed himself. Adam was 24 years old and had to be cared for his whole life. And Henry found his next part of ministry in companioning Adam until Adam died. And Henry tells the story of this downward mobility. He says, I found Christ again. I found Christ in the daily activities of love and care for another. I found Jesus anew in my heart through the daily activities of taking care of Adam. And how his spirit grew and bloomed. And then he wrote a couple of more books. But you know, what does it mean for us to be of service to one another, to choose? Jesus chose to come and be one of us. Henry chose to go and serve Adam. We're not taking away from you your choice. This is something that someone must do freely. No doormats here, no excuses, no victims here. This is something that we freely choose to give and be of service. This downward mobility that God shows us in Christ. Can we be that brave? to empty out something we're attached to, to empty out our stuff, to empty out our power. And even if we don't have much, maybe to empty out our attachment to our own sorrow. What is it that has become so large in our life that we might need to free ourselves from, to be empty from, so that we may be able to be of service? but it's not as a doormat. It's as a strong, agent, believer, faithful person who loves and has the mind and attitude of Christ. It's not as a victim, so no doormats here. But maybe some people who choose downward mobility because they know the kingdom requires sharing. The kingdom requires us being Christ one to the other. And in so doing, who knows, we like Henry might find ourselves saved again meeting Jesus in that place one more time. How about you? Can you be that brave? What do we need to empty, oh God? What do we need to do to feel you in our lives anew and move us 
into a greater relationship with Christ. Let's be that brave. So not uniformity, but unity. Not a doormat, but perhaps downward mobility. And now the last one. Paul finishes that hymn, and he goes to the last section. And the last section is not lip service, but life service. You know? You know some people who know what lip service is? You know? Then their actions don't match the words at all. You know, no lip service, life service. Jesus tells a story about two servants. He said, the master came and talked to the two servants and said, go do this. One of the servants said, okay, I'll go do it right now, but then went to play. The other servant said, I really don't think I want to do that. I think I'm not going to do that. And that servant went to work to do what the master had asked. And Jesus says, which one was the real servant? Which one? And of course, I think Jesus identified with the second one, the one who grumbled a little bit, but went ahead and did the work anyway. I think Jesus identified with the second one. Not lip service, but life service. So here we are. Paul is telling us at the end of this, God is at work within you. God is at work enabling you. God, the great enabler. You know, sometimes we don't like that word, an enabler, okay? But in this passage, God is in you, enabling you to do this very good work of transforming the world and transforming yourself. God is right there in you, the, saying the words with you, having the longing with you, your companion along the way. Paul has this image of Christ, God within you, doing this good work for your life service. He says, as you do it, God is with you. Now, Reverend Troy Perry didn't just get fired almost once, but some other people got distressed with him later in his career. You know, they just had a hard time with someone focusing on justice. They had a hard time having someone reveal that something wasn't equal and demanding that it be changed. And so there's this point in time when Anita Bryant was on the campaign trail, you know, the orange juice queen, which is very anti-gay campaign. And during that same time period, just while she was doing that, there was this law that came up in California called the Briggs Initiative that they were afraid was going to be passed. It's very negative against teachers, against anyone who was lesbian or gay. And it was across the board harmful. But it looked like it was going to get passed. So Reverend Troy said, we have to do something about this. And the people said, it can't be done. He talked to a political person who said, you need $100,000 to do these things or you have no hope. And Reverend Troy told people that and they said, there's no way, we've never raised even $10,000. We're going to raise $100,000 to undo this initiative in California. And so Reverend Troy said, I'm not going to eat until we do. I'm not going to eat until we do. And went on a fast. People knew why he was fasting. He didn't do it quietly, he did it in public. Told people why he wasn't eating, you know, why he was not eating. He fasted and fasted and fasted. People got ticked off at him. Stop making such a fuss. You're gonna make things bad for us. You're gonna cause more harm. Still didn't eat. Stayed in the hunger fast until one day a woman said, what is it going to take to get him off the street? 
Selma told her $100,000, so she wrote a check. <laughs> wrote a check. And the Briggs Initiative was defeated. What does social action look like? It might look a lot like faith. Fasting, praying, being Christ to one another. One of the persons in the film said, we didn't really, we wanted him to be a pastor. I think he was about justice. You know, sometimes we like that word justice, and it's a good word. Social action is just that, justice. If you're ever concerned about someone using the word social action, just translate it in your head. This is about justice. So today, when we hear from Paul, we want to remind you of the things that he's teaching us in this Hebrews passage. Do not be people of uniformity. Be people with a different kind of unity. Do not be doormats. But consider downward mobility for the sake of all. Do not choose lip service. Be a people of life service. You know, Jesus chose to use that power so that when Jesus was exalted, not only did Jesus break death, but it was broken for everyone. That's what social action is. Thanks be to God. Amen.